Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. Well, good morning. morning. If you've got your Bibles open with me to 2 Timothy, also you can open to Matthew chapter 23, if you would. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. So I heard men say thank you. I don't know. What is that? This, this, this morning, we're going to, uh, uh, I think all, almost all the time, one of the things that I like to try to do is to expose the enemy's tactics and give, you, and give you kingdom stuff, you know, give you ways to appropriate the kingdom of God. And, and I think today, is, is, uh, as we celebrate mothers and as we see it in Scripture this morning, we're going to see how Paul not only encouraged Timothy, but also how he encourages us through writing to Timothy and everything that he has to say. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, I, 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 I loved Brunswick stew. My daddy used to take me to a place in Durham, North Carolina that he loved, and it had Brunswick stew. Anybody like Brunswick stew? Man, I would go to this place. Every time my daddy said, let's go to this place, I would go to this. I would be like pumped because he was going to get barbecue, but I was going to get a big old bowl of Brunswick stew. And I thought it was fantastic. You ever had a place like that? Memories from a parent? Well, it wasn't many years ago I went back to this place and I had to order the Brunswick stew. It was nasty. (laughs) Now that I know what Brunswick stew is supposed to taste like, I was like, (laughs) Brunswick stew. No. Have you ever had something like that where you thought something was great and then you just discovered later on when you found out what it was supposed to be like? You said, man, that really wasn't as great as I thought it was. I think, I think we see that in life oftentimes, and we have to deal with that. That is kind of what Timothy is dealing with as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read that verse here in just a minute. When I was a young man, about 11 years old, I just discovered it just not many weeks ago. A certificate of baptism. And just to reiterate this story again, it was a monument, is a memorial of when I was baptized as a kid. At some point, in, in some fashion, I made a recognition that I had a need for a Savior and I was baptized. But I was baptized in a church that, that had just voted not to allow blacks to be members in 1970 or 71, I believe it might have been. And the reason I bring that up is that something good happened out of something that was trying to represent God what wasn't doing a very good job of looking anything like God. 
But what I want you to understand is you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater in everything you do in life. If, if you'll begin to look for the good, if you'll begin to focus on the things that are right and th- instead of the things that aren't right, you're going to find that you can be encouraged even in bad situations and that good things can happen even when things aren't done the way God would necessarily have them be done. That's a hard one right there, isn't it? I mean, I can feel, I can feel just the ink in the room when you even think about the church representing that kind of posture and position. But we find it everywhere. We find it in all of our backgrounds. We find good things in our backgrounds. When you talk about Father's Day and Mother's Day, always there are people in the audience who have a bad experience with fathers and mothers. There are always people in the audience who had incredible parents, great fathers, great mothers, and for the most part did everything fairly well. But even the best of us don't do it quite right all the time, do we? And then there's a lot of us that are in between those two things. There's a lot of good and a lot of bad. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, you thought it was good when you were a kid, but when you grew up and discovered what God says about it, you kind of realized that what you were eating wasn't really as good as what you thought it was, right? Anybody, everybody with me on this? I think what we're going to find when we see what Timothy's going through, we're going, to, we're going to come to a passage of Scripture that we hear all the time, but we're going to find it in context today. And it's going to be really, really good. Matter of fact, I hope it changes everything that you do from here out. So let's read it, and I'm going to stop and kind of give you commentary as we go through. We're going to go through 2 Timothy uh, the first chapter, verses 1 through 14, and I'm going to be reading this from the English Standard Version. Paul says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I love how that's put together. When Paul is writing this, he's writing to Timothy, and we can learn from Paul as he writes, is he's identifying himself as who he is in God and why he is who he is in God if that makes any sense. He's he's telling you that I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. That's who I am, and I'm only that. I don't want you to to take these words, and I don't want you to just cast them aside. He's recognizing the fact that there's nothing he's ever done to earn the title. It's not done out of pride. It's done out of humility, because what he's saying is that if it wasn't for the will of God— that I couldn't be even doing what I'm doing. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing. And he says that he's doing that according to the promise of the life that he was born into as he was baptized into Jesus Christ. This this place where we, we are dead to our old self and we're raised to newness of life. Paul is saying, I'm an apostle by the will of God, by what Christ Jesus did when I was buried in baptism and raised to life. When I began to do things in a way that represented heaven. 
that is in Christ Jesus. In other words, to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. And then he says this in verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child. I love that idea. We do that a lot around here. And I want you to understand too, because we're going to get into Matthew chapter 23 in a minute, that this was an affection. This was not saying, this was not done with pride. This was not done with uh, some sense of entitlement or a lording over anything. It was done out of the love of God, and it was done out of, of, of care and, and nurturing. It was, it was this place where he was saying to Timothy, you're like my son. You know, I'm, I, I, I care for you. I admonish you. He wasn't lording himself over. He actually had greater expectations for Timothy than he actually had for himself. And so there was this, there's this thought, this humble thought to Timothy. And he says to Timothy, may the power of God that can do more than you could ever do on your own be upon you. May God's mercy, when you don't deserve acquittal, be upon you. May his peace that absolutely makes no sense in the circumstances that you're in be with you. For the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. There's another thing that I want to point out to you right here. As Paul is saying, I serve God as my ancestors did. And I want you to understand, you, you realize that Paul's ancestors were Jewish. And he is honoring his ancestors. He is saying, he is saying, I know my ancestors didn't get it all right. <laughs> right? Would you agree that, that the, the tradition of the Jews didn't get it all right? But they got some things right. He didn't throw away the good with the places they missed the mark. And we're going to see that a little bit in Matthew chapter 23 when Jesus is teaching. But Paul is saying here, I want to honor my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. What his ancestors did right and what he took away from them is an absolute dependency upon God that he knew he needed to be praying for circumstances and people and loved ones and neighbors and friends and co-workers day and night so that they would receive everything that God intended them to receive. He brought that to the plate. He's saying to Timothy, this is who I am by the grace of God. And this is who you are. And I thank God for my ancestors and I with them pray for you day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. This has such, I'm taking this really tight, aren't I? But this has such great meaning. Listen, I want you to begin as right, right here. I want you to begin to apply this to the church today. I'm talking about not just East Side, but including East Side, but to the church at large in the United States and across the world, but especially in our nation. 
You know, there are churches that plant and start and do all this kind of stuff, but they, they're oftentimes they're born out of division, and they're born out of hurt, and they're born out of, out of anger and disagreement. They're not really birthed out of this place of love and affection. There's not this really, this sending out. And what happened and what you see with Paul and Timothy is you see this father-son relationship, this kindred spirit, this whole idea is, is this. I know I've got to go do something else, but I really don't want to. It's not something I necessarily desire. I just know that I'm called to it. And boy, am I going to miss what we have here. I'm going to miss it so that I'm filled with tears. And, and that relationship and that, and that father-son nurturing element that's going on with Paul and Timothy brings great joy to Paul. That's the intent of church planning as the kingdom sees it. The kingdom never sees church planting born out of division and disunity. And we really need to be careful of how we broach that subject because we're going to get into what Jesus said about that in Matthew chapter 23 here in just a minute. All right? You with me? So I remember all this, this relationship that we have and this parting that we have and this idea of this reunion that we might be experiencing. I remember that with great joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith Timothy, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you. Passed down from generation to generation. Again, you see the whole idea of the good and the bad. Do you think Lois and Eunice had everything right? They certainly had this thing right, and it was called genuine faith. Now, if you look up the Greek word for genuine faith, what that actually uh, is in context with is a non-hypocritical faith. A non-hypocritical faith. A faith that actually carries out what it says. It practices what it preaches. Let me just take a moment and give you the definition of hypocrite. A hypocrite, based on Webster's, is a per person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion. It's a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs or feelings. They are self-righteous, full of outward form of spirituality, but devoid of any inner spiritual reality. Now, how do you know whether somebody is a hypocrite? Well, most of the time, if they feel like they've got their God walk right, if they're doing things, you know, I'm pretty good. If they got some semblance of pride of how they're walking in God, you can pretty much know that there's some hypocrisy going on. Because a person who really is constantly trying to make sure that they walk in faith the way Jesus asks us to walk in faith is always trying to discover ways that they don't look like Jesus. So they always feel like they're just not quite there yet, but they are in desperate desire to become that. And so they, they see that they're not really there yet. 
And so if you see a puffed up, pride-like thinking about how we are in God, how I am in God, you most likely can know that we're dealing with someone who really hasn't been modeled or is modeling sincere faith. This is so good right here. I mean, this, I mean, when you read this right here, you just go, wow, I can't believe all this is in. The, I mean, this is the introduction. But look at what it says here. He says, because of this, because of your heritage, because of what you've experienced, he says then, he says this. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, he said, Paul's saying to Timothy, because of your heritage, because of your background, because of who you are, and because of the call of God on your life, I want you to flan into fame, flame the gift of God that's in you. Now listen. Paul is writing that to Timothy, but he's actually writing it to you. See, when you read Scripture, you've got to understand that we serve a God who created this whole universe. He holds it together and he sustains it. He's certainly capable of writing a book without error. Think about that just for a minute. We, 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 we question the idea of whether God could really write a book without error when he created everything that surrounds us. You've got to be kidding me, right? So he says, fan in the flame everything that you've learned. You're called into ministry. The moment you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm not the one called into ministry by myself. I'm called into pastoring. I'm called into administration. My job is to train you to do the works of the ministry. You're called to do the ministry. And so Paul is writing to you as a minister of the gospel, saying to you, fan into flame everything that you, you're learning. Now, as a, you might not have the heritage that Timothy had. Your mother and father and your family background might not have been that which was perfect, but there's two ways that you learn. The first way that you learn is someone who models something very well. And some of you fall in that category with your mom and dad. But, and, and, and then again, you, you see things that you once thought were good, but you find out they weren't so good, and you're understanding how the kingdom comes. And you begin to move in that because you're moving, in, you're, you're moving into something. But it was exposed to you. In other words, you have, this, you have this reference point of that's not good. You have this reference point of I thought that was it, but that's not really it. And the only way that you can know that is the revelation of God by the word of God. You know, you cannot dance on your disappointments 
unless you had disappointments. And the only way that you can dance on them is to realize that Jesus Christ has set you free, that you're no longer captive, that you've come to some kind of revelation of I used to think this way, but now I don't think that way anymore because I've had revelation from God. And we need to rejoice that we've had that kind of revelation. Now, if you're not interested in revelation, you might have some semblance of an issue of hypocrisy because a believer is a Christ follower. Right? Our job is to emulate kingdom. It's to emulate Christ. And so Paul is writing that, and he's saying to, to Timothy... Fan the flame. Now, one of the things I want you to understand about fanning the flame is he is calling you to fan your own flame. It's not my job to fan your flame. He's saying, you've got a call. You've got a gift. You've got a ministry. You were baptized. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You've got to do like Paul and remember like Paul who you are in him and why you are who you are in him. I'm only in him, and I'm only able to do what I do by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, and by the peace of God that comes over me, that settles me from my past. It settles me, gives me peace, even when I know what I've done in the past. Now, here's where the context comes in really good. This is so, so amazingly eye-opening. So we are to fan the flames of the gift of God that's in you to do what God says. And he says, he says this, for this reason, I remind you to fan the flame because of what, what you've learned, what your influence is, what, what you've done in Christ. Remember, we laid hands on you to do the work. And then he says this, because God did not give us a spirit of fear. Wait a minute. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind or self-control. In that context, what context is that? Fan the, fan the flame. Fan the flame. Know who you are. Know what your calling is. Stir up the gift within you. Timothy obviously had to be dealing with fear. What was he fearful of? He had a good mama. He had a good grandmama. He had a father figure, a, a mentor that laid hands on him and said, man, you bring me joy. I remember the tears. You bring me joy. There was a father figure in his life. He had it looked like everything, and yet Paul is saying to him, listen, man, stir the gift up again. Why? Because he had to be influenced by fear. Fear of what? Fear that whatever he had experienced in the past was way too big for him to be doing what God called him to do. Spirit, uh, fear that he was somehow disqualified or couldn't meet the mark. Fear that Paul had way too big expectations for him. Fear of the dysfunction that he experienced somehow would, would raise his ugly head and cause him to fail. Fear that maybe his own personal sin 
disqualified him? What was it that he was fearful of? I don't know, but he was fearful of something because that's where this scripture comes in. It comes in and says, stir your gift up, people. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what's gone in your life because if it's good, it's been put in you. It's been given to you. It's, it, you you've, you, you've, you've had it poured out on you. Mothers can have that effect on us, can't they? It's an amazing thing what the nurturing of a good mother and a grandmother are. You've had that. Remember that. You've had the affirmation of me, your spiritual father, laying hands on you and believing you to remember that. It's not written here, but I think it's inclusive. Remember what Jesus did. Because he says it in his, he says, he says it in his address. He doesn't say it necessarily to Timothy as you take this, but he says it in identifying that this is what makes him successful. He says this. He says, it's, it's, it's by the calling of God. It's, it's because who God called me to be. Now listen, do you not realize that your name is called out once? You're the called. God called you personally for a purpose. And that is the purpose of ministry. Ministering what? The kingdom. You're the minister of the kingdom of God. Well, I, and then he says this. I don't care what's, it has this, in, this kind of woven in. I don't care what you've done. Because he's about to say, rejoice with me, I'm in prison. And see, Paul's first imprisonment, he was at his house, and he just had a guard outside. His second one, he's in a hole. He's in a dungeon. He's in a prison. He said, don't you worry about me. Right here, right where I am, God's grace is enough in this prison, in this hole, in this place. I can still get accomplished the ministry that God intended for me to get accomplished. Don't you worry about me. I'm still in this hole. I'm stirring this gift up. And I want you to stir this gift up too. And I know where I've been. You see, Paul had always have to have a memory of having Christians put in prison. How would you like to have a reputation of murdering, hanging, or crucifying, or imprisoning, or stoning Christians? And then try to get up and begin to preach and be called and call yourself an apostle by the grace of God. And can you imagine going to this little city or this little church called Eastside Church and coming in here and four of the mothers that are sitting in here have sons in prison because you put them there. Or maybe they were stoned to death because you had them stoned. Can you imagine how hard it was for him to remember his past How hard it was for him to remember his past and still be effective. Do you think he might have lived in fear that someone would discover who he was? You think that's a possibility? And then begin to measure him based on who he was? 
And so his encouragement to Timothy is remember, remember your mama and your grandmama. Remember your spiritual daddy. Remember everything Jesus did. And remember his grace. His grace be upon you. His mercy is upon you. His peace is upon you. Walk in that. I can almost stop right here and say, this is the word from the Lord. Grace be upon you in your ministry. May the power of God, they can do more than you could ever do on your own. Whether it comes for forgiveness of what you've done or empowering you to do something that you are fearful of. Or just getting you over your fear and getting you past that. Because the only way you get past it is to realize what Jesus did for you. And then you can dance on those disappointments. May the mercy of God be upon you. May the peace of God be upon you. My goodness. So Paul used Timothy's history as motivation. That should be what happens to us. Whether positive, whether you need to kick some of it out, whether you need to learn something, whether you need to praise the Lord that you've gotten revelation, that you're no longer stuck there, that you realize what Jesus did on the cross and you're no longer held captive, that sin no longer is Lord over you, that you're now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you begin to look at everything in your history and begin to accentuate the positive and then begin to rejoice over the negative because Jesus Christ has set you free. Somebody needs to say hallelujah on that. Somebody just needs to receive that. Listen, you need to begin to rejoice over the negative because you've been redeemed. You've been healed. You've been set free. You're no longer held by that. Your identity is no longer that situation. <laughs> Let's say that together. My identity. Let's say it loudly. My identity is no longer the negative. Let's say it again. My identity is no longer the negative. Satan holds you captive with the negative. Paul exhorts us in that using your history for motivation, accentuating the positive, rejoicing over what Jesus did with your negative, and then focus on the call. Focus on the call and stir up the gift. What gift? the gift God gave you when he saved you. He saved you for purpose. He saved you for purpose. If you've got your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 23, I'm going to run through this real quickly. And I just have to... Um,
In the New King James, in verse 5, it says genuine faith when it's talking about hypocrisy, the opposite being hypocrisy. Genuine faith, non-hypocritical faith. You know, Jesus could handle a drunk. Jesus could handle a demon-possessed person. I mean, he, they, those didn't bother him a bit. You know who, what bothered Jesus? Hypocrites. You know what he attacked most? Somebody who made a claim to be a Christian but wasn't acting like one. Especially those in leadership. Now I'm going to read this, and we're going to make a proclamation today that the church be healed. <laughs> it's part of it, but that would include me, and that would include you, correct? All right, so I'm just going to point out some things I can't, and I don't have time to read uh, the 23rd chapter of Matthew. I would encourage you to do so, but let me just point something out to you. Jesus is talking to his disciples and the multitudes, and he's talking to them in front of the scribes and Pharisees. So you got all these religious leaders that are hanging out in the synagogue area, and Jesus talking to a group like this, them standing over here watching him, judging him, and this is what he says. He says, he says, starting in, you know, it starts from the very beginning, but starting in verse 13, he, he says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. In verse 14, woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And then he follows that up with what they're doing that's hypocritical. And then he says in 15, you hypocrites. And then he says in 17, fools and blind. And then in 19, fools and blind. And then in 23, you hypocrites. In 25, you hypocrites. In 27, you hypocrites. In 28, you hypocrites. In 29, you hypocrites. In 33, you brood of vipers. Now, is Jesus saying this because he's mean-spirited? He's not. He's saying this because they cannot see their condition. And he's trying to get their attention. He's not mean-spirited. He's just really trying to get their attention. And he wrote this here to get your and my attention. We can't look back at them and go, man, I'm glad I'm not like that. As soon as you do that, you're like that. You can't do it. you got to watch it because this spirit is everywhere and you're going to see it. Now, I just took a list of a few things that I wrote down that are in that that he's talking about. And this is what he's talking about. Let me give you just, first of all, some synonyms for hypocrite. Pretender, deceiver, liar. Interesting, isn't it? He says about them that you're cleaning up the outside. You're looking good. You're looking good. But your inside doesn't look like me at all. You're trying to make sure that you give a good impression. And you're trying to raise yourself up. Jesus says their hypocrisy neutralized good teaching. He said about them, he says, listen... That what they're teaching is okay. 
but they're not doing any of it. So don't do what they're doing even though they're saying what they're saying. Have, you know, that's one of my biggest deals. If I know somebody and I hear them preach, it's like, <laughs> everything in me because of my spiritual gifts, I guess. Because have you ever seen uh, Men in Black? You may have seen Men in Black where the little creature goes into that dude and he does this. That's what I do when I hear somebody preach. I know they're not living it. Oh! <laughs> I just got to get that going on. He says, listen, what they're teaching is okay, but how they're living, hmm. listen, you think about the church, you think about the, the heads when I read this list of who's leading the church, and I'm looking, I got four coming at me. We've got to be careful. We need to be praying for the church. Their hypocrisy, the way they were living, neutralized good teaching. Rules and regulations they put on people burdened the people and were unnecessary rituals that kept the people in bondage. Instead of setting them free, it was the rules and regulations that kept them in bondage. And they were extra rules and regulations. And Jesus said, quit doing that. They dressed up. They cleaned themselves up. He called it whitewashed tombs. They, they cleaned the outside of the tomb, but inside of the tomb was filth. Their dress and their attitudes sought public praise, prominence, power, and titles. You see that everywhere in the church. Everybody wants prominence. Everybody wants to write a book. I'm about to write a book, Joe. Me and Joe are about to, Joe's about to do one. He's just... But, that, but it's for the wrong reason. It's not necessarily that that's a bad thing. It's just that that was their motivation. You know why they crucified Jesus? It says it in Scripture. They crucified Jesus because they were losing power and uh, influence. How, how, how many times I've heard of a church that's in, a, in, a, in an area and some other big church might be wanting to come in and, 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 and there's two big churches and they want to do a building program because they don't want somebody else coming in. They're going to lose their power and influence. It's interesting how you find that everywhere in the church. And we're blind to it. We're, we're oblivious that it's even going on. Jesus says, because of your legalism, you've set barriers to God's kingdom. This is what he says. Because of your personal legalism and the way you're responding to the word of God, you can't, this is what it says, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got the kingdom of heaven closed up because of your religious legalism. Not only is it closed on you, but it's closed on everybody else that's following the way you're teaching. How many churches do you know that aren't even open to the kingdom of heaven coming down because of the doctrine and the theology that's being taught? The kingdom of heaven is not on the preachers, nor is it on the people. And that's what Jesus is saying here, and it's done because of the legalism and the barriers that are set because they're trying to discipline themselves into some sort of obedience and 
not believing the gospel of Jesus in its fullness. He says, you're a hypocrite because you have inconsistencies and wrong priorities. And those inconsistencies and wrong priorities have have, uh, defined what your ministry is. Especially when it comes to money. That's what he says. And then he says, your hypocrisy is because you're so worried about cleaning up your outside versus your inside. And that has dominated your attitude, which doesn't have the ability to produce holiness. Now, Timothy says, you're called. Paul says, you're called. Paul says, stir the gift up. Paul says, remember your heritage. It's good. Take the good part of your heritage and do it well. Take the bad part, submit it to the cross, dance on it, and praise the Lord for freedom and liberation and the absence of captivity any longer. Walk in the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the peace of God wherever you go. Don't be a hypocrite. Have a genuine faith. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.